It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That's great, it starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Yeah. Many fruits is not afraid. I have a fatigue, listen to yourself, to the world, but it don't need something to your own head. Beat it up and I've seen that no scoops, the ladder, put the platter with the fear, fight down, like fire in a fire, with the system of the gang, the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, leave the jury, beat it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of doom. And bloom. That's right, friends and neighbors. This is the hour of doom. <laughs> I think you're over exaggerating <laughs> a tiny bit, but that's okay. Welcome. I don't know. I'm I'm wondering these days. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a minute of morality in a malicious world. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find close to 800 posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness. Oh, my gosh. 800. Hey, close to 800. I'm almost there. Wow. For any disaster. I am a man, and I have a plan, and that's to put a medically prepared person in every family for any disaster. That's what I have to say. What do you have to say? I am Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. Also known as? Nurse Amy. That's right. She's a hostess with the mostess. Incredible. Together we are the watchers on the wall, and we watch it all for you to find that silver lining in the storm clouds on the horizon. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a gorilla gone wild? It's spring break, you know. (laughs) Our, Our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent a me- any medical advice uh-huh. for anything, Women. ever. Don't listen to us. <laughs> Other than post-apocalyptic <laughs> settings, well, then you can listen to us. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek natural to seek modern, modern and standard. Could, you could seek natural. <laughs> yes. Seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Maybe so, but when the rescue helicopter is nowhere in the sky and the ambulance is nowhere on the road. Aha, you better have some supplies and some knowledge in that noggin of yours so you can deal with all the medical issues that you might encounter. But don't worry, you got us here, and we're here to help. Absolutely. Hey, do you have a pearl of wisdom to cast before us? I'll bet you do. <laughs> we learn as much as you do, as you do from us. That's we. Wow, you really learn, messed that yeah, up. Yeah, I really messed that up. <laughs> wow. We learn as much from you as you do from us. 
So connect with us. What's the matter with you? Don't be shy. It's easy, and here's Nurse Amy to tell you how. You can contact us by email at drbonespodcast at aol.com. You can find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. Have a couple of Facebook pages, Doom and Bloom, and also Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel, which is getting really active, folks. Don't miss out. Oh, Tons boy. of videos are being loaded before your very, very eyes. That's right. And the channel is DR Bones Nurse Amy. We even have a new header at our, oh, we do? At yes. our YouTube channel. Yeah, take a look at that, folks. You're going to see that picture somewhere else, but I'm not going to tell you where yet. Not yet? Okay. And we have a video cast twice a month, first and third Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at aroundthecabin.com. That's right. And... Uh, if you join the chat room there, you can ask us questions live. And win we'll prizes. Answer. Oh, and we uh, we actually give away some stuff at the end of the show for the chat room people. But if you're shy, you can just listen in if you prefer. You can put an alias in there. You don't have to say, you know, uh-huh. John Smith lives at blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> so you can be anonymous. Now, I'm going to ask you folks don't for be, a favor. Don't be the other anonymous, though, that's uh, Ooh, giving bad. out Social Security numbers. Oh, no, don't be that. Uh, I just want to ask a small favor, folks. If you could follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. If you could be a subscriber on YouTube, that would be super awesome. And join our group on Facebook so you can be interactive with us. We would really, really appreciate it. There are a lot of awesome medical folk there, non-medical yeah. folk, herbal folk. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I know. Really a good good group of people. And if you ask Almost quest- 5,000 strong. And if you ask questions, not only will we answer, but lots of other people will answer, and you can right. garner a lot of really good knowledge. And awesome. don't be afraid to ask questions. That's right. That's the important Never. Never. No question is inappropriate. That You know, my science teacher said that I'll never forget. There's no such thing as a stupid question. I agree. Only stupid people. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke. He didn't say that. Okay. But I remember that. Mm-hmm. So n- no matter what question you want to ask, it's perfectly fine, and everyone's happy to help. That's it's right. a real good group. That's right. Well, that those are a lot of resources. We have more. The Survival Medicine Handbook, our three-category Amazon bestseller, still up there. Uh, in the rankings, check out our articles in leading magazines like American Survival Guide, Survivor's mm-hmm. Edge, Survival Quarterly, Backwoods Home, gosh, Prepare, Survive. <laughs> it just goes on and on. <laughs> and also... And it, all great magazines. That's yes. right. And also you'll see us in links from over a thousand great preparedness websites throughout the internet. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to start off today with the response I gave as part of Jack Spierko's Survival Podcast, a very, very popular show. His expert counsel, We you, Are the Medical Folk. Yes. And uh, we gave this response to Josh, a father of four children who's experiencing some major allergies in a family with no particular history of the problem in previous generations. That's terrible. Now, here's his question and my take on the whole thing. This week's expert counsel question comes from Josh, who writes, My wife and I have 12 siblings between us. We're Irish Catholic. Other than many battles with alcohol, not a one has any allergies, ailments, or anything like that. Neither of our parents had any issues either. Now we have four kids. All were C-section. My first daughter had minor allergies, dogs and cats mainly. My second added dairy, but my third and fourth have major allergies. Cedar trees especially were a bear when we lived in Texas. Peanuts are an absolutely no-go. I had to personally administer an EpiPen on my six-month-old son eight years ago. That was scary. 
Growing up, I don't remember anyone with allergies. Doesn't mean it didn't exist, but I don't remember ever coming across someone with it. Nowadays, however, there are a ton of kids at school with all sorts of allergies. I just don't get it. Is it C-sections, diets, a combination? Just wondering if you've read anything on this. It seems that not only are we getting more and more obese in the U.S., but allergies are getting more prevalent as well. Why? Josh, there's no doubt we're experiencing an epidemic of allergic reactions in the U.S. today. The reason why, however, is a topic of fierce debate. The shortest answer I can give you is we're not quite sure. The longest answer would be a very, very long book. Earlier this year, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, published a major study on children and allergies. It found that 1 in 20 children have a food allergies. That's up 50% from the 1990s. 1 in 8 have skin allergies or eczema. That number is up 69% from the 1990s. They claim, however, that there haven't been any increase in hay fever or other respiratory allergies, something I have my doubts about. Let me tell you about one theory. It's called the hygiene or the microbial deprivation hypothesis. Are we living too clean? We wash frequently, we have smaller families, we live away from farms and animals. Kids are less likely to develop asthma if they grow up in rural areas, and children in cities have more allergies. That means that we're having only rare challenges from harmful bugs. That brings up the question, is our immune system looking for something to do? and ends up misdirected attacking previously benign substance, say, in our food. There have even been studies suggesting that babies born in hospitals, and particularly those born by cesarean section, Josh, may have a different balance of gut bacteria, making them more prone to allergies, something to look into. It's now common practice in many childcare and school settings to ban or restrict potential allergy-causing substances. Those are called allergens, like tree nuts from children's lunches. We may be experiencing more allergies because our culture has become too effective at controlling or eliminating exposure to microbes. Microbes are central to training our immune system to dealing with allergens. Am I telling you to let your kids play in the dirt? Yeah, once in a while, but don't get me wrong. It's still a good idea to wash your hands after going to the bathroom. You see, you want to watch what your kid's exposed to, what they put in their mouth, and you have to realize that other factors might be at work. Our modern lifestyle, our fast-paced, unhealthy diet play a part, in my opinion, at least. We're eating bad fats, and with smartphones and computers, we're not getting as much exercise, leading to problems with obesity, as you had mentioned. Some researchers believe these changes affect our immune systems, could be why there are more autoimmune disorders in today's world. Here's another factor that might be in play. We use more sunscreen, we spend less time outdoors, reducing our body's natural production of vitamin D. This vitamin, in normal amounts, helps ensure a healthy immune system. Sun safety is very important, but so is vitamin D. Even more factors include the way food is processed, the timing of food introduction to children, chemical pollution in cities, other environmental factors. It's unknown whether alcohol issues have an allergy component to it. In the past, they did think that. But we do know it is genetic, and kids exposed to it at an early age seem to activate the gene that leads to dependence. So the answer could be that the allergy epidemic is caused by multiple factors, only some of which can be mitigated in today's world. The CDC has been changing guidelines to allow earlier exposure of children to certain allergens, but unfortunately it doesn't help those kids that already are allergic. We still have a lot to learn before we can formulate a foolproof strategy to keep our kids safe from developing allergies. Keep those EpiPens handy. Okay, that was my response to Josh, Josh and his family with regards to my feeling about 
allergies. Yep. That's right. Hey, you know, let's talk a little more about allergies, especially severe reactions, sometimes called anaphylaxis or anaphylactic shock. Anaphylactic reactions were first scientifically described when researchers tried an experiment to protect dogs against a certain poison by desensitizing them with small doses. Mm -hmm. I think you've heard of people doing that, maybe with snake venom and other things to try to desensitize them. Well, instead of being protected, many of these dogs died suddenly the second time. Not the first, but the second time they got the poison. Now, even though it was a very small amount. Mm -hmm. Why did this happen? Well, they were killed by their own immune systems going haywire, going out of control. Now, the word used for preventative protection is what? Prophylaxis, right? Think of a condom. Or prophylaxis. Or prophylaxis, if you want to uh, pronounce it that way. That's perfectly fine. (laughs) Think of a condom. What is another name for a condom? A prophylactic, right? It protects you against pregnancy. A condom protects you against pregnancy, prevents sexual, protects you against sexually transmitted diseases and stuff like that. So if prophylaxis means protection, then the word anaphylaxis therefore means the opposite of protection or a worsening of whatever reaction you get. The dog experiment allowed scientists to understand that some anti-protective harmful effects mm-hmm. can occur that might be extra, uh, extrapolated to humans. Now, anaphylaxis can be caused by insect venoms, can be caused by poisons, drug exposures, pollutants, even foods like peanuts will do it. So why does our immune system go awry during anaphylactic events? Well, anaphylaxis occurs when, a, when the body makes an antibody, special antibody called IgE, immunoglobulin E, and it does that in response to exposure to an allergy-causing substance, other sometimes called a trigger. IgE sticks to cells, and these cells then release substances that affect the blood vessels, that affect the air passages, and can cause major issues. Now, the first time you're exposed is called the sensitization. Now, usually nothing exciting happens during the first exposure, but the second time you're exposed to that same allergen, your immune system recognizes it as foreign, goes into overdrive. Absolutely, and just think of bee stings. People who are highly allergic to bee stings probably didn't have any or much of a reaction the first time. It's the second time that had the major problem. So you weren't expecting it. And that's that's the fear and that's the scary part of it is you don't know that the second time you're being exposed to something that you may stop breathing that you may have a really, really severe reaction. Right. Your blood pressure can drop. Uh, you can start swelling all over the place. And in severe cases, the airways can tighten, arteries spasm. Real major issues occur. You can start having shortness of breath. You have cardiac effects and go into shock. Uh, and that's even, called anaphylactic shock. And even death. And you could even die. Sure. Anaphylaxis has become a pretty timely issue because more and more people are experiencing the condition. Um, Why the increase? That's a good question. There are a zillion theories, but the theory that resonates with me, as I mentioned when I answered Josh's question, is that we're exposed to a lot more pollutants these days. Developing countries like China, for example, they experience terrible air quality issues, and you see all sorts of people wearing masks, masks over there just to get to the store. 
So this is a, a, a big issue. If you ever flew into China, it's wor much worse than flying into L.A., even though L.A. has a lot of smog. China mm -hmm. is much, much worse. Now, we're also using a lot of pharmaceuticals, many of which seem to turn up new adverse effects regularly. There is a difference between an adverse effect and an allergic reaction, exactly. an allergy, but they, we're seeing more and more maybe of ingredients in these drugs possibly mm -hmm. causing our immune system to react. Uh, widespread use of antibiotics, that's a big issue. Uh, other medications, these are exposing us to more possible trigger allergens and events occur. Now, I believe that cases of asthma and hay fever are becoming more common all over the world, although the CDC actually doesn't think there has been much change. I think there has. We have a lot more pollutants in our atmosphere. We have pesticides in our food, uh, GMO foods, all sorts of stuff that could be factors, and food itself is changing. There are uh, genetically modified salmon that we talked about a while ago. They grow uh, twice as fast as natural salmon. That has been approved by the FDA. These are all approved things. There are now pigs that glow in the dark, and they control their genes. They put a gene in that actually is related to a coral that causes these pigs to glow slightly, slightly in the dark. It's very similar to those glowfish that you'll see in the pet shop these days. I, I don't think I want my pork chops glowing. glowing. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. I don't, I don't plan to eat mm. in the dark anytime soon. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, yeah. and if the it would be very helpful for that. Yes. And if the electricity's out, we have plenty of flashlights, solar panels. Uh -huh. Um, so we don't need pigs. Tons of lighting. No, no. I probably, we, and lots of candles, honey. <laughs> oh, there we will not be having to eat in the dark. <laughs> <sighs> so there's lots lots of things we're exposed to. I mean, uh, with our uh, Zika book coming out, by the way, we have a book called, on Zika virus coming out called the Zika virus handbook. Uh, it's not out yet, but it will be out on Amazon soon. very soon. Uh, but they have genetic, genetically modified mosquitoes, male mosquitoes right. that have a gene in them that, number one, makes, guess what, the larva glow in the dark, but also causes the larva to not be able to survive, some for some reason, to adulthood and become adult mosquitoes. Mm -hmm. So there may be some good things with regards to that, especially when it comes to mosquito-borne illness, but... I think the jury is still out on a lot of these GMO well, uh, the, organisms. Well, the problem is you mess with one little thing, which is like the drop in the pond or the river or the ocean, and you don't know what the ripple effect is going to be. They really don't. You cannot, you cannot account for all variables when you change something. So changing the mosquito, making it less able to reproduce – Yes, you're going to have less mosquito-borne illnesses. Right. That that we you know we could check that off right away. But what else is going to happen? Right. How does it affect the ecology of the? There area? are probably animals that eat mosquito larvae for their food, and now they're going to be eating GMO mosquito mosquito larvae. larvae. Right. What's that going to do to them? They'll know? glow in the dark. <laughs> you know, there'll mean, be a lot of glowing how, in the dark in the future. Animal, ladies right. And I mean, who? You know, there's a food chain set up here, and you know, have they taken everything into account? So, you know, we we don't know what the future brings. Well, so anyhow, lots of conjecture with regards to this. A proven, there are proven causes of anaphylaxis. They include drugs I mentioned before, mm -hmm. dyes, uh, those dyes they inject uh, during X-rays, barium, and things like that. Uh, antibiotics like penicillin. 
uh, anesthetics, even aspirin, ibuprofen, ibuprofen, Tylenol in some cases, and even heart and blood pressure medicines. There's, of course, foods. Nuts are big issues. Some people, uh, certain fruit are a problem. Seafood, big, big issue with regards to allergies. Eggs, yeah. A big Eggs. One, a big one for fruit is strawberries, mm-hmm. believe it or not. Yep. It's very interesting. Now, Did I do mention... Wait, I have a question. Did you know that eggplant is related to the nightshade family or is in the nightshade family? Wow. Yeah. At a certain point of its um, fruit production, it actually is poisonous. Probably won't kill us, but probably won't do our bodies very much good. (laughs) So, yeah, very interesting. You're not supposed to eat it until it's ripe. And I just made eggplant, but it was ripe. You didn't think it was ripe, but I said eggplant it was ripe, parmesan. and I'm still alive. So we are still alive. So there you go. By the way, when it I say n- pretty good, but when I say that nuts are an issue, mostly I'm meaning tree nuts. But there is one nut that is not even a nut that is the big, a big, big issue, and that's peanuts. Yes. And, and for those people who don't know, a peanut is not a nut; it's a legume, very related to peas it's and certain beans. It's very cool to grow, yep. grow guys. Get, get some peanuts that have not been boiled or roasted in your grocery store, and you can actually plant them. We did. Yeah, we have some it's peanut plants. So they have pretty cool. yellow flowers. It's really neat how it grows. They have yellow flowers, and then uh, uh, one of the little branches goes into the ground, digs Bur- into the ground. Buries and that's, itself. Buries itself, and that's where the peanut grows. Amazing. Uh, and pretty cool, actually. All right, uh, let's see. What else? <clears throat> uh, insect stings, bees, insects, yellow right. jacket wasps. Those are especially big issues. Big major culprits there uh, latex rubber gloves made of latex especially uh, see this type of issue in healthcare workers because they're repeatedly exposed to it I find now that if I put latex gloves on I get itchy I get sure. a rash and I get itchy and sometimes I'll even if I leave them on long enough I peel crack and peel between um, my fingers well, and the these crevices days. These days, healthcare workers. But I never workers, had that problem before. Well, healthcare workers wind up having to be wearing gloves more, a larger part of the day than Think they did before. Think about how often we right. had gloves on our hands. Exactly. So you know, in the past, well, thirty percent of the day. I mean, it maybe was yeah, a lot. It was a lot, and especially more, when you were doing surgery. It's more now. I'm <clears> telling <throat> you, it's much, it's much more now, especially with uh, not just with doctors and surgeons, but also with just about every level of personnel, down to custodial personnel in hospitals. So it is a big issue. Well, people in cafeterias are wearing gloves. There's there's more people wearing gloves in the food industry. Uh, People wear gloves that that really didn't wear gloves before, but we've learned a lot about food sanitation and hygiene and realized that we need to be wearing gloves more. So many more people are wearing them more frequently. Which now, is good for our health, but not necessarily your your personal health if you end up with an allergy to it. Now, exercise, believe it or not, especially mm-hmm. after eating, can cause an allergic reaction. You can actually be allergic to exercise. As a matter can of fact, I, claim that? I know a lot of people. <laughs> that, can I, claim that? I know a lot of people that probably believe that they are because Aww. they're just sitting there on the couch. Not a good thing, though. Not a good thing. And the funny thing is that a substantial percentage of cases of major allergic reactions are what we call idiopathic. Mm-hmm. Idiopathic is just a medical ease word that says, we don't know why. Right. 
So it's it, it, something is idiopathic. It is of unknown cause. Nobody knows why it's caused. And we have a lot of situations, a lot of medical conditions that are still idiopathic. A lot of uh, seizure disorders, for example, or idiopathic. Just they don't, don't know, know what why. causes it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Now, it's important to recognize the signs and symptoms of anaphylaxis because the faster that you treat it, the less likely it will become life-threatening. Now, a person having an anaphylactic reaction is going to present with rashes, often at places not associated with the actual exposure. So, in other words, so people might have an all-over rash in someone with a bee sting on the arm. So, if, some, if you're having a rash in an area where you weren't stung, then you have to watch out, especially if it's occurring in multiple areas and, and things are getting bad. Uh, swelling can be generalized, sometimes isolated to the airways or the throat. So that's a, a possible symptom of a major allergic reaction. Uh, breathing difficulty. And most people, when that happens, they wheeze. <laughs> like you see in asthmatics. I've done that. So we've talked about asthma just a few weeks ago yep. uh, on the show. and It's very scary. And wheezing is a, a very common thing that you'll see in a major uh, allergic or an anaphylactic reaction. Uh, GI symptoms may occur. People may get nauseous. They may vomit. They may feel cramping. Uh, some people get diarrhea. Uh, some people faint. So you could even lose consciousness. You'll have weird sensations. Some people feel weird sensations on their lips, tingling in their lips, especially with food allergies, by the way. And, of course, once it gets really bad, then, as Amy mentioned, the blood pressure drops, respiratory failure occurs, and you go into coma, and you die. Now, fainting's not the same as anaphylactic shock, and you can tell the difference in a lot of different ways, honestly. Someone who's fainted is usually pale in color, but anaphylactic shock usually presents with the patient looking flushed, red, in other words. The pulse in anaphylaxis is fast, but a person who's fainted actually has a slower heart rate. Most people who have just fainted will rarely have shortness of breath. They'll rarely have rashes. But these are going to be very commonly seen in an anaphylactic reaction. So shortness of breath, rashes, most likely somebody lost consciousness, fainted, that they are having probably anaphylactic reaction. they breathing normally. Skin looks pretty normal. They probably just fainted. Now, in food allergies, a victim may notice that the effect of anaphylaxis occur very rapidly. Indeed, their life could be in danger within just a few minutes. Sometimes the reaction occurs later, however. Everybody is a little different. People who have had a serious anaphylactic reaction should be observed overnight as there is sometimes a second wave of symptoms that occurs several hours later. Now, some reactions are mild, probably not anaphylactic, but a history of mild symptoms, it's not a guarantee that every reaction will be minor. So you have to watch these people carefully. Now, during anaphylactic reactions, our immune system produces a substance called histamine. You've probably heard of that. Histamine triggers the inflammatory response, which causes the symptoms of anaphylactic shock. Medications which counteract these ill effects are therefore known as what? Antihistamines, right? Oral antihistamines could be helpful in mild to moderate allergic reactions, but the problem is that medicines uh, that are oral antihistamines, like Benadryl, diphenhydramine, they take about an hour to get into the bloodstream. And in an allergic reaction, this is not fast enough to save lives. Well, I'm going to just say a little caveat. If you have a tablet 
It's probably going to take that long. Your liquid Benadryl is probably going to be absorbed a little bit faster. And if you really want it absorbed much quicker, uh, take that liquid Benadryl and try and have the person keep it in their mouth if possible. Or, or take your finger under in the tongue maybe? and swipe around right the inside of the lip. Pull the <sighs> lower lip down. Swipe that gum area and the lip. You want to get inside the cheek, the fleshy cheek area. You want to get it on the tongue. These areas help absorb much, much quicker than your um, stomach. You've got to break down. It's got to get absorbed. But your mouth is really, really fast in absorption. absorption. Now, if you only have tablets... If the person can, chew them and swish them around your mouth. This is going to taste terrible. Benadryl is not a pleasant-tasting tablet, okay? But you're trying to get this Benadryl in them as fast as possible. And, of course, if you don't have the EpiPen, this is all you've got, folks, okay? You've got to get this into their body quickly. You can't inject a tablet, by the way. So don't think you're going to crush that up and stick it in some water and inject them. That's not going to work. They've got to go through the oral system. That's an oral pill. That's where it's got to go in. You can pre-chew a tablet for somebody who is not able to chew for whatever reason. They're starting to lose consciousness. Pre-chew it. Swipe it out of your mouth with your finger. And then take that gooey, mushed-up Benadryl and, again, swipe it around the inside of the gum, around the cheeks, on the tongue, underneath the tongue. Okay, and try and help it get absorbed as fast as possible. We're talking about somebody who is losing consciousness, who's not able to chew, and certainly does not have an hour to wait. Liquid would be your best bet at this point. Again, try to have them keep that in their mouth as much as possible so it can start absorbing. There are so some, just some hints. Yeah, there are some oral antihistamines like Claritin that come in sort of wafer like things that melt on your tongue, but and they maybe act faster, but they're weaker. They're just not just too weak yeah, for any severe yeah, reaction. Yeah. So it's important to know that the same now, cells. If you want to do both of those, it's not a problem. But you know, you got to get that Benadryl in. That's the lifesaver. You have to know there are also other substances other than IgE that are released at the same time during your allergic reaction by the cells that make the IgE antibodies. Uh, these can cause little effects, and oral antihistamines don't protect you against these. Right. Now, the other thing, the thing about liquid Benadryl is that, of course, for from a prep, preparative standpoint, it's a little difficult to store and have it keep its potency. Right. The oral works better in, ter- in terms of staying Solid potent. Solid tablets, But right. the problem is, is that it takes longer. So you, you've got some goods, positives and negatives with regards to each type. Right. So when you're talking about the tablets, when you say longer, you mean it takes longer to be absorbed. Yes. That's it takes longer to be absorbed. And, and the tablets, la- the po- good thing is the tablets last longer in terms storage, of being potent. potent sure. they, even if they're expired, they still will last longer. However, the liquids won't, but the liquids will get into the body faster. So Pros and cons for everything. That's right. Have some of each. <laughs> So anyhow, the one thing that we know is going to work is something called adrenaline. Well, in the U.S., it's not called that. It's, uh, it's called that in Europe, but in the U.S., it's called epinephrine. Now, epinephrine is a hormone that's produced in small organs near your kidneys called the adrenal glands. Uh, the, this substance activates what we call the flight-or-fight response. So people have probably heard about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, epinephrine makes your heart pump faster. It widens the air passages so you can breathe in more oxygen 
to deal with your fight or flight and raises your blood pressure. It works successfully, interestingly enough, against all the effects of anaphylaxis. Therefore, you should make that epinephrine part of your medical storage if you're going to be responsible for the well-being of your family in any long-term scenario. Unfortunately, epinephrine comes in an injectable solution. You might consider an inhaler to be more appropriate, but anaphylactic reactions can cause breathing difficulties. If you can't inhale, you're not going to have much benefit from an inhaler, right? Now, the EpiPen, EpiPen, E-P-I hyphen P-E-N, it's the most popular of the various commercially available kits to combat anaphylaxis. It's epinephrine. It's important to know how to use an EpiPen properly. So, perform these simple steps comes in a case, so remove the EpiPen from its case. You hold it firmly in your fist and remove the safety cap. Sometimes these things have two caps. Have the patient sit or lie down, and you press the end firmly against the mid-outer thigh, perpendicular to the leg, and it clicks. It should click. Hold it for 10 seconds. Massage the injection site to help the medication spread and dispose of the needle safely. Simple as that. Now, you can cause more harm than good if you fail to follow the instructions I just mentioned. Epinephrine can constrict the blood vessels if it's injected accidentally into a finger. Um, and because it prevents circulation to the digit, don't put it in the finger. Uh, in rare cases, gangrene can set in. It really, could really be bad. Also, remember that EpiPen won't, the EpiPen won't help you if you don't carry it with you and don't have it readily accessible. Any allergic members of your family or your group should always have one in their possession. Now, since it's a liquid, it will not, epinephrine won't stay effective forever. Like some pills or some capsules, that is one of the big issues with, unfortunately, the EpiPen, is that it'll lose potency over time. So be sure to follow the storage instructions. Dry, cool, dark. You can refrigerate it, but don't freeze it. Now, you're going to have an issue with limited quantities of this drug being available, obviously, in times of trouble. So when do you break into those precious supplies? An easily remembered formula is what we call the rule of D's, of the letter D, D's. Let me just want, mention one more thing about storage. Just don't freeze it because that's one thing everyone says. Well, if you say cool, then freezing must be better. Right. Right? That's right. <laughs> don't freeze it, folks. Okay. So the rule of D's is... Definite reaction, if your patient is obviously having a major reaction, such as a big rash, difficulty breathing, that is a reason to use the EpiPen. Danger, any worsening of a reaction after a few minutes, especially including respiratory difficulty, that's a reason. Definite reaction, danger, deterioration, and you want to use the EpiPen before the condition becomes life-threatening. And the truth of the matter is any doubt. And when you're in doubt, use the EpiPen. So those all are Ds, definite reaction, danger, deterioration, doubt. The earlier you use it, the faster a person will resolve the anaphylaxis. One injection is enough to save a life, but you want to have more than one handy just in case. This is especially pertinent when you're away from your retreat or base camp, and the truth of the matter is that some people may actually need more than one shot. So if that's the case, make sure you have more than one available. Now, they Some, can come in a two-pack. Yes. You can Purchase get a prescription a, for a two-pack, yes. Right. I think that, I think, is an awesome idea. 
Now, some people may not be able to take epinephrine due to chronic heart conditions, high blood pressure. They will make those conditions, uh, some of these conditions worse. Advise your people to consult with their health care providers before a disaster occurs to determine that it's safe to receive the drug if they needed it. In a collapse, you have to remember you're going to be exposed to a lot of crazy things. You never know when you might be allergic to one of them. Stockpile the appropriate drugs, especially if you have family members with histories of reactions. If you learn the signs and symptoms of anaphylaxis, you act quickly, you'll stay out of trouble. Great, great advice. Well, thank you very much. (laughs) Hey, why don't you tell the folks out there where we're going to be in the near future? Our schedule. (laughs) Well... Our next upcoming event is the CarolinaReadiness.com event by Jan. She's put this on. I believe this is her fifth year. It's yep, the Life, right? yep, Life Heritage Skills 5. And we will be doing a suture class on Saturday at 9 a.m. That's a three-hour class. And we will also be doing a brand-new class called Bleeding Control Class. And both of those are hands-on. Awesome. You can find out more on our website. Go to our classes page, doomandbloom.net forward slash medical classes. And uh, if you have any questions, you can, of course, always write to me at drbonespodcast at aol.com. The following weekend, we will be in Richmond, Virginia at the NPS Expo. That information is also on our website. We are doing a suture class that weekend on Sunday. And the following weekend, yes, folks, three weekends in a row. Absolutely. We will be in Dallas. Yay, go Texas. Mm -hmm. Don't mess with Texas. That's right. For the Self-Reliance Expo, the suture class we'll be teaching there is on Friday at 3 p.m., that I believe is Friday the 13th, Ooh, <laughs> May 13th. So three weekends in a row, uh, four classes. Wow. You can We're gonna be sign, up, after all this. sign up and find out more <laughs> on our website, doomandbloom.net. Uh, push on the pretty blue toolbar, as Dr. Yes. Bones always calls it. Push the classes page. I have it all up there for you guys. And then the first weekend will be in June will be in Oregon, or Oregon, as you folks say, at the Mother Earth News event. Yes, Mother Earth News. Albany, near Albany. Albany, right. Albany, Albany. (laughs) Oregon, Oregon. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is a lot of stuff, bud. Wow. Yes. I'm getting pretty old for this. You're not that old. Come on. I don't know. Bucket up. Bucket up. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I want to thank all the great networks that replay our show uh the proper broadcasting network that's g-man's network glenn's network um the usa emergency broadcast network mm-hmm. also we have all the survival central radio network and we have shake and wake radio and apparently we have a lot more networks that we don't even know replay our show yeah is that a fact there's a lot of websites out there that put it up well we appreciate it thank you very much I uh, hope that uh, well, basically we're all about spreading. That's right. The knowledge and it's uh, free, folks. Put yeah. put the show on your website, promote it, get some free information to folks. It doesn't cost you anything to replay this show. That's right. Just don't change it. <laughs> That's the only thing we ask. If it's fifty-five minutes, play fifty-five minutes. That's all we ask. That's right. As is. Yeah, don't don't edit it. Don't mess her up. Don't mess her up. Don't add your own 
ads or anything like that, if you're going to play our show, you have to play it from start to finish and say that it's us. <laughs> hey, we're going to take just a second to catch our breath. <laughs> you're listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy Season. Are you worried about how dangerous the world has become? In these days of terrorist attacks, natural disasters, or even a future collapse, you need to be medically prepared to keep your family safe. I'm Amy Alton, ARNP of store.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find an entire line of uniquely designed medical kits and supplies for when help is not on the way. For everything from individual first aid kits to the ultimate family medical bag, go to store.doomandbloom.net today. You'll be glad you did. And we're back. You're listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy Joe and Amy Alton. Hey, you know, keeping healthy and fighting disease, that's what your body's immune system is all about. Now, what does your body use as weapons in the arsenal to stave off the toxins that you're exposed to every day? Antioxidants. Now, this may sound a little new agey for you, but <laughs> even conventional Western medicine acknowledges the importance of getting sufficient antioxidants from your diet or other means. Human beings have one of the longest lifespans in the animal kingdom. That's due to a lot of antioxidants in our very, very diet. Now, what the heck are they? What do they do? How do you get them? Now, antioxidants, they are a class of compounds that are capable of preventing the damage caused by oxidation of other molecules in your body by, guess what, oxygen. Yeah, the oxygen in the air you need to breathe causes damage in the form of oxidation. Oxidation, when it affects your car's chassis, leads to rust. And in your body, oxidation is essentially biological rusting. Now, antioxidants, some produced in your body naturally, some ingested, they inhibit oxidation by fighting free radicals. Free what? Free radicals. Free radicals are a waste product that you naturally produce as a result of normal living and aging. They're your biological response to environmental toxins, uh, cigarette smoke, ultraviolet light from the sun, chemicals, radiation, all that stuff. Free radicals also form anytime you have inflammation in your body and with physical exertion. Now, free radical molecules aren't complete. They're unstable because they're missing one or more electrons. And this missing electron is what causes this biological oxidation. The incomplete molecules go after other molecules and proteins to seal their electrons. They're missing electrons, remember? Now, when they do this, they damage cell structures and even your DNA and form even more free radicals. Cell walls wind up rusting, so to speak, by becoming leaky because of the damage caused, and this causes cell death. Now, free radicals have been linked to many different diseases, including cancer, Alzheimer's disease, coronary artery disease, Parkinson's, a lot more. Now, without antioxidants, free radicals run rampant, leading to tissue damage, signs of aging, and the inability of your immune system to nip diseases like cancer in the bud. Now, how do antioxidants work? Antioxidants donate electrons to these free radicals, rendering them harmless without becoming free radicals themselves. They serve to defend your cells from damage and resist the effects of exposure to pollutants and other toxins. 
Other important benefits of antioxidants include assisting in cell repair, processing toxic elements like mercury, arsenic out of your body, increasing your body's natural defense capabilities by shielding your DNA, and promoting the self-destruction of early cancer cells. There are, of course, a number of different antioxidants are classified in a number of different ways, and each protects different parts of your cells. Some, like vitamins A, E, alpha-lipoic acid, they protect the cell walls. These cell walls are made mostly of fatty lipids, but others, like vitamin C and glutathione, they protect the insides of cells, which are mostly made of water. So there are lipid-soluble and there are water-soluble antioxidants. You need both types to prevent oxidative effects that can lead to biological rust. Now, you make some of these in your body, but you make less and less as you get older. Some of your natural antioxidants are found in just about every cell, but less so as time goes on. You need a wide variety of antioxidants to provide you with optimal benefits. Let's talk about one called glutathione. I just mentioned it. Glutathione is considered to be the master antioxidant because it maximizes the effects of all the others that your body produces, including CoQ10, vitamin C, and others, plus the antioxidants that you ingest in your diet. It helps process toxins from your cells, protects you from the damaging effects of radiation, chemicals, environmental pollutants, all sorts of stuff. Your body's ability to produce this glutathione decreases with aging. However, there are nutrients that can promote glutathione production, raw dairy, eggs, grass-fed meat, whey protein, curcumin, all sorts of stuff. Another strong antioxidant is alpha-lipoic acid, or ALA. It helps reduce inflammation, gets toxic metals out of your system, even enhances the body's sensitivity to insulin, something especially important in type 2 diabetes. It's also the antioxidant that protects you from developing Alzheimer's disease. Alpha-lipoic acid might even help regenerate other antioxidants. Now, I mentioned CoQ10. That's also known as ubiquinone. It's an antioxidant that's converted to ubiquinol and produced in quantity in young people, but less so in older folks. It's used by all the cells in your body. CoQ10 helps produce energy, supports heart health, and boosts the immune system. It has other effects as well, like keeping blood pressure in line and slowing the natural aging process. Now, if you're older, you might consider taking this in supplements. Now, some antioxidants are not made naturally. They have to be taken in in your diet. One is resveratrol. That's also called a flavonoid. This is found in grapes, some vegetables, red wine. It's thought to help with blood pressure, heart health, helps your ability to fight inflammation, might even prevent Alzheimer's. Now, another dietary antioxidant is the family of carotenoids. These are the substances that give vegetables their pretty colors like carrots and peppers and tomatoes. Your body converts these into vitamin A. Now, one antioxidant you know all about is vitamin C. Not only is it thought to be helpful to decrease the duration of some respiratory infections, it's a major factor in battling oxidation from free radicals. It helps you maintain normal production of collagen that's vital to skin and bones and tendons and ligaments, all sorts of places. Now, you can get vitamin C from raw organic vegetables and fruits, especially citrus, but when taking a vitamin C supplement, consider one made with liposomal, liposomal technology, which makes the nutrient a little more absorbable by your cells. And Another one is vitamin E. Natural vitamin E is a family of a bunch of different compounds. And you can get all these vitamin E compounds from a balanced diet composed of wholesome foods, but only one or two 
are gotten from taking supplements. Speaking of which, let's talk a little bit about antioxidant food sources. Well, to tell you the truth, you really should get most of your antioxidants, not from supplements, but actually from your diet. A diet of fresh, raw, unprocessed foods, especially fruits and vegetables, will give you tons of antioxidants, and you should eat at least some of these. Start with fresh, organic vegetables. Now, most of the vegetables that you eat, especially the green leafy ones, are loaded with plant compounds that act as antioxidants. Kale, mustard greens, and spinach, for example, are really good sources of vitamin E and even other antioxidants. But remember, to maximize your antioxidant levels in vegetables, you have to eat them in raw, unprocessed, and fresh as possible. Those are what you really need to look for. Sprouts. Sprouts are a powerful source of antioxidants, minerals, vitamins, and more. Now, you think, oh, I live in a high-rise. I don't have any space. I can't possibly grow a garden. Well, guess what? If you just have a little bit of counter space in your kitchen, you can be successful in growing sprouts. I know. We've done it in our kitchen. You can even use jars. We've done this many times. It does take a few minutes of your time every day, but it's a really easy formula to follow. So learn about growing sprouts. Fruits, yum. Not everyone can get fruits up north, but nowadays your grocery stores are filled with them. So you might not be able to grow them, but at least for now you can get them sourced as organic as possible. Think of fresh berries like blueberries, blackberries, cranberries, and raspberries are the best antioxidant fruits you can consume. Berries are also a great source of vitamin C, uh, carotenoids as well. They contain zinc, potassium, iron, calcium, and magnesium. Nuts, yum. Organic raw, don't forget organic raw, Pecans, walnuts, almonds, hazelnuts, those are all excellent antioxidant foods. It can boost both your heart and your overall health. Now watch out for the non-organic nuts as these are often irradiated to prevent germination. You might note that peanuts are not on this list. Well, there's a reason for that. They are not even a nut. They're legumes and related to beans and peas. So what else can we eat? Oh, spices and herbs. Everybody loves to spice up their food. So think about when you're adding these things to your food and cooking, what are some of the best antioxidants that I can add? So some of your best choices might be ground cloves, cinnamon, oregano, turmeric, ginger, and one of my favorites, garlic. Ideally, you should only opt for the freshest herbs and spices, as of course they are healthier and have higher antioxidant levels than processed powdered versions. And the antioxidant activity of fresh garlic, for example, is much, much higher than the store-bought dry garlic powder. Love to drink green tea? Great news. Green tea has compounds that lower your risk for heart attack, stroke, glaucoma, high cholesterol, and a lot more. So what about these supplements that are on the market? These products should really just be taken as supplements, not as food exchanges. 
So remember, supplements supplement your diet. They don't replace eating healthy food. And you should be getting your antioxidants from some of the foods I mentioned. There's a lot more, but I mentioned some of them and they're really good. And I understand it's hard to keep an eye on your diet in today's hustle bustle lifestyle. But if you have to take a supplement, consider CoQ10, moderate, not high levels of vitamin C and E, krill oil as options. And speaking of lifestyle, change yours to decrease the number of free radicals that your body has to deal with. So lifestyle changes that maximize your antioxidant intake. Let's think about this. First, reduce the amount of sugar, especially fructose, and grains from your diet. Less sugar and grains, which convert into sugar in your body, can help the antioxidants that you are eating and you are taking in to work better and last longer. Food items with high fructose corn syrup, don't get me started on that right now, like many sodas, are especially bad. And high fructose corn syrup is in a lot of foods. Really watch out, folks. Exercise, moderate exercise can boost your body's antioxidant production, but too much, and it causes the formation of more free radicals and thus the oxidative stress, which Joe talked about uh, just a little while ago. Manage your stress. Stress can worsen the inflammation and poor immune function caused by free radical formation. Studies have shown links between psychological stress and numerous health issues. You hear that? Stress and health issues. Even the Centers for Disease Control says that 85% of all disease has an emotional element. So get your head happy. Relax. Yoga. Zen, folks. Let it go. It's making you sick. Avoid smoking. Smoking forms free radicals in your body. How many times do people have to tell you, stop smoking? Smoking accelerates the aging process Gee, we all want to look young. Stop smoking, especially in your skin, not to mention carcinogens and cigarette smoke. Cigarette smoke kills. It makes you look terrible. Stop smoking. Get enough sleep. High-quality sleep is one of the cornerstones of good health, and a person who is sleep deficient can have severe far-reaching effects on your health far-reaching effects, folks. So get enough sleep. Seven to eight hours of sleep per night seems like the optimal amount for most adults, maybe a little less for oldsters. Oldsters? I wasn't referring to you. My gosh. That's terrible. (laughs) Don't take it personally. We much prefer the term petrified Americans. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) Older young folks? Older, old, 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 old. You know, that is all the time that we have for this episode of the, I know, of the Survival Medicine Hour. Tune in to our show, the Survival Medicine Hour, next week with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. We look forward to having you join us. Thanks so much. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? 
In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.